Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to episode 144 of the Headspace and Timing podcast. September is Suicide Prevention Month. In the past, we've highlighted a number of different aspects of suicide during the month of September, but this is an important conversation. Usually when we talk about suicide, we talk about intervening when someone's in a suicidal crisis, but we don't often talk about what happens when someone is impacted by a loss by suicide. My guest today is Dr. Shauna Springer, Senior Director of Suicide Prevention Initiatives, Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. You know, it's not just about preventing further suicides. The work that we do is about helping people to heal and to thrive after loss, which is an important piece that I think gets lost. We think sometimes when you have a devastating loss, you're going to be just debilitated from here on out. That's not what we see. Before we get started, I wanted to give listeners a heads up that as we approach the 150th Headspace and Timing episode, I'm going to be doing something a bit different. I have a number of great guests lined up over the next month or so, so keep tuning in. And after that, I'm going to be putting new guest interviews on hold while I develop a new project that I hope to announce soon. I will be going back and putting together shorter episodes based on previous conversations, so keep subscribed, keep listening and giving feedback, and keep an ear out for the next big thing. To keep up with all the latest, sign up for our newsletter by going to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash update, and join us on our growing Facebook group to discuss the show at VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash community. Welcome to the Headspace and Timing Podcast, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes around veteran mental health. My name is Dwayne France, and I'm a retired Army non-commissioned officer and a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After retiring from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, then you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set correctly, however, it was just a useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing's not set correctly either. That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support service members, veterans, and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Headspace and Timing Podcast. Once again, and as always, really appreciate you taking your time to listen and learn more about veteran mental health and service member mental health and family member mental health and just sort of health and wellness across the entire military-affiliated population. We're looking at suicide prevention from a public health approach. 
I, as a mental health counselor, don't have all of the answers. I have a portion of the answers, part of the solution, um, but therapy is not the entire solution. And I really wanted to talk about uh, an important aspect of reducing the risk for future suicides, which is postvention. Uh, to be able to talk about postvention, I have a, a former guest and a friend back on the show. Uh, Dr. Shauna Springer was on the episode uh, uh, 116, so you can go back and, and listen to our extended conversation about the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors there. Uh, but uh, today, Shauna and I are going to talk about postvention. So, Shauna, welcome to the show. Good morning, Dwayne. Good to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. Um, whenever I was uh, conceptualizing this and thinking, who should I um, invite for postvention? It was not a question. There was no one else. Um, you were the first and only choice, and I'm glad that you agreed. So, before we get into that, uh, you know, I'd like to give you an opportunity to tell the audience sort of who you are and who you're with. Thanks. Uh, I'm Dr. Shauna Springer. I'm the senior director of suicide prevention initiatives at the Tragedy Assistance Program for Survivors. Uh, TAPS offers compassionate care to all those who are grieving the loss of a military loved one. And for us, postvention is prevention. So when I talk about being the Senior Director of Suicide Prevention Initiatives, that absolutely encompasses the strategic plan that we form to help decrease the loss of um, further uh, individuals who are impacted by suicide loss and by suicide attempts. Now, and this is something that you and I had talked about uh, frequently and as a tragedy assistance program for survivors. Um, it is a support group for those service members, those individuals who have lost uh, family members. And many people would think that um, it, it has to do with, uh, you know, combat loss or something like that. Um, obviously, um, you know, the, the, um, the situation that began TAPS was a, an aircraft or airplane accident. Um, but a, a large number of the families that you support, um, the loss that they have endured is from a loss of suicide. Right. It is actually suicide loss is the single biggest reason for referrals for support at TAPS. Uh, we provide best practice peer support. And the suicide loss journey is... Uh, especially complicated. And we get three or four referrals every single day because of a suicide loss. Um, so we are really seeing uh, the impact of this in a major way and have built over the last 10 years, very specialized postvention uh, support, as well as a best practice model for how we help people to get on a path to healing and find hope and meaning after this kind of devastating loss. And, you know, and I think a lot of people understand what prevention means, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, just in general health, right, preventive health. Uh, and, of course, when it comes to suicide, a lot of people understand what intervention means as far as, you know, keeping someone who is going to attempt or in crisis from doing so, conducting an intervention. Um, but I get the sense that not a lot of people really understand what postvention is and sort of why it's important in this this cycle of, of intervening and, and stopping suicide. That's certainly true. And the, the awareness of the differences between these concepts gets a concepts gets a bit blurred. Um, so for example, we respond to a number of incidences on bases on military bases. We have an MOU with different branches of service um, as well as the VA. And so we get calls 
uh, to consult when there's been a suicide loss. And what we've noticed is a pattern until we get involved um, of sometimes sending out suicide prevention trainers in response to a suicide loss. So let's take, for example, a base that's had a, a loss of a beloved member of the tribe and that active duty service unit and suicide prevention training is sent in. The problem with that is that people on that base are often already feeling a lot of survivor guilt and feeling, you know, things like, why did this happen? Uh, why didn't I see it coming? Uh, what, what did I miss? And they're feeling a lot of this guilt already. And so sending in suicide prevention training, while it might seem intuitive, is actually uh, not what they need and will tend to increase the feelings of survivor guilt when you bring in kind of the standard suicide prevention training that's all about recognize the signs, be vigilant, you know, take action. Um, in the wake of a suicide loss, this can actually inadvertently increase risk factors for those who have been impacted. And what is really needed is people who are postvention experts to come in and help them figure out um, how to decrease any self-directed guilt or blame, help them to understand the suicidal mind and how people um, progress to that point, and um, put in place some programming and some support that will help encourage people who are suffering in silence to come forward and get help uh, if they're struggling. You know, that, that makes a lot of sense. I hadn't considered that before, but as you and I have talked before, I am uh, or was um, before my certification lapse an applied suicide intervention skills trainer, so an assist instructor, and uh, coming in and, and giving an assist workshop or a um, question, a QPR workshop or one of these things, um, it, it's almost a way of, of coming in and saying, this is what you did wrong. Right. Yeah, exactly. And people would say, well, if I would have known this, this would have been nice yeah. to know six months ago and in a highly emotional state. Right. Um, I could see that could be more damaging than than helpful. It's how they hear it. I mean, all of our people on the suicide prevention and postvention team at CAPS are trained in assist. We are big fans of QPR. We have a, a good collaboration with Dr. Paul Quinette. Um, and so we absolutely believe in. You know, recognizing the signs, but it's a matter of uh, meeting the need and the timing of when you um, promote certain messages and uh, increase learning in certain areas. And in the wake of a suicide loss, when everybody's kind of steeped in that sense of um, confusion and maybe self-blame and survivor guilt, that's not the time. Uh, there's a different need. And what you need is people who really understand how to stabilize the uh, situation and identify the suicide-specific risk factors that are coming up for each individual that has been impacted. And that's a complicated thing, Dwayne. Like every postvention that we do is uh, different. Every single one needs a bit of a different response. So um, that's where, you know, TAPS comes in to really resource and support active duty military, the VA, and other groups uh, that serve veterans. You know, and, and I really appreciate that, the idea that um, there will be a time uh, after a suicide loss that we can come in and provide prevention to stop the cycle from happening, but it's not immediately after. It could be coming in, because this is really in, in what those of us in, in the field understand, that this is a cycle that 
good postvention leads to good prevention and, and, and breaks the cycle. Um, but maybe six months down the road after a community has come to terms with what had happened, and now we can come in and say, how do we keep this from happening again and breaking the cycle? Um, and so it's a matter of sequencing and, like you said, timing and bringing in at the appropriate time. Right. I mean, we find exactly that so many of our suicide loss survivors and survivors of other kinds of losses, whether it's you know due to illnesses or combat, that they will become people who are active advocates for uh, those who serve in the military and their families. And many of our suicide loss survivors in the third phase of our healing process, which is post-traumatic growth, and I'll talk about the model hopefully at some point today, I really want to share a bit about that, um, will find meaning from their pain in helping to prevent uh, further losses. And so many of our um, longtime, you know, TAPS family suicide loss survivors are trained and assist in QPR and uh, the crisis response plan that the uh, Bryans are working on down at uh, in Utah. So there are many things that we can do to resource them, but really um, it is a matter of what do they need right now? Because when people are um, impacted by this kind of traumatic loss, they're ultimately knocked down to the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And what they need right then is stabilization, which is the first phase of our TAPS postvention model. You know, and, and that's something, and, and as you're, you're talking about it, um, I'm just reflecting, obviously, and, I, and I've spoken about it on the, the show before, but we all have reasons why we do what we do. Um, but my first experience, let's say, with mental health, or really intervention in mental health, was uh, in me in intervening my own father's, who he was a Vietnam veteran, um, in his suicide attempt. Um, and, and I did that, and it was long before I became a mental health professional. Um, and, and we, we were able to get him the help that he needed and, and get things taken care of. And so it was a successful intervention. And then for me that, that week following, I couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep. I recognize now that I was having traumatic stress reaction based on my hearing, you know, the, how close my father had come to death and all this other thing. And so you're exactly right that, um, it, uh, it, it did push me down to that, you know, the basic biological needs I could not meet because, you know, I was in such psychological distress that, mm -hmm. um, right. uh, and, and even back then, and this was honestly 2000, I think it was, um, I didn't go to a therapist. I went to my first sergeant and he sent me to a chaplain. We didn't, and, and it was great. And the chaplain was, you know, we talked a lot more psychology than, than spirituality. Um, but even back then, um, you know, sort of by happenstance, I, I got the support I needed, uh, but not necessarily the support that TAP has learned is the best practices. Right. Um, you know, TAPs, our goal is to have people know what postvention is and be conversant in it and skilled with it to the same level that they are with suicide prevention and intervention. Um, we're really kind of leading the way on that with the development of our model. And we do training, you know, all over the country. And um, I'll just, I'll plug something here because it's free. It's uh, sponsored by the Boeing Foundation. I'm going to be doing a training through the TAPS Institute on intimate partners and suicide loss. How do we help them with that very complicated grief journey? Um, and that, you know, can go out 
broadly um, as as far as as people are interested in learning that uh, we have sponsorship to disseminate that without limit. Um, and then we do a partnership with the uh, NFL Foundation through an organization that you know about, Dwayne, called Psych Armor Institute. And I'll be going down there in a couple of weeks to film the third course in that series, which is called Grief and Trauma. And it's a 10-minute training on how to recognize the difference between grief and trauma because they have a lot of overlapping symptoms, but they're not the same thing and they need a different treatment approach. Um, so we're really trying to help bring that whole line of work to everybody's awareness so we can really support uh, survivors in a, a well-informed way. See, and this is an aspect of when we talk about suicide prevention, everybody's like, I mean, and, and I was about to say just call the crisis line, which absolutely, I'm not, I don't want to discount that, that the crisis line or any other type of, of immediate intervention, whether it's Vets for Warriors or a state hotline, anything like that, uh, but it's not, it's not necessarily enough, and people don't really consider postvention as part of a suicide, a community-based or a comprehensive suicide prevention plan any more than they consider housing or economic stability as part of that. So it's great to hear that, that TAPS is really making an effort to focus on this aspect where other organizations do other things. So I'd, I'd love to hear uh, and for you to share with the audience the, the, uh, the framework and the plan that TAPS has to, to sort of provide this postvention support. Absolutely. Um, I want to go back to one thing you said first, if I, if I could, because it was an important point you made about in the wake of the um, suicide attempt of your father, when you were knocked back to that bottom of Maslow's hierarchy, which is what we see. Um, there is a pattern that we also notice. I know, Dwayne, that your podcast goes out to a very large audience. So I want to take this opportunity to kind of run interference on something that is a problem not only the sending in suicide prevention trainings, which I mentioned, but also there's a pattern of what I call passive resource offering. So when people have been impacted by a traumatic loss, like a suicide loss, there is a tendency that we've noticed for people to be told, we're here if you need us, here are the resources, here are the phone numbers, here's the phone number for TAPS, here's the phone number for this clinical support, um, please reach out. Let us know what you need. Use it if you think you need it. Exactly. So it's kind of an opt-in kind of service. And people do that out of the best of intentions. You know, sometimes I've even heard uh, organizations say, well, we want to respect their grief or give them space to decide what's going to be most helpful to them. But the thing is that people have their life burned to the ground in the wake of this kind of loss for a time. And they'd have never been down this road before. They don't know what they need. So one of the things that is really important is that we can't sort of passively offer them resources in an opt-in kind of way. Survivors really benefit from a proactive approach that doesn't wait for them to opt-in. So really what we encourage, and this is why we have the MOU with all the different branches of the military, we want to get to them as quickly as possible because they don't even know what they're going to need. And TAPS has a phone number that's available 24-7, which is 1-800-959-TAPS, 1-800-959-8277. And we can be called 24 hours a day. They can be linked up with somebody who can say, okay, now 
how are you going to talk to your kids about the fact that their mother or their father died by suicide in the morning? You know, it could be three in the morning and they could, you know, need us to give them some consultation on that. And TAPS has people that have been down this road before that can walk with people and give them informed support. To answer your question, so the TAPS postvention model has three phases. The first phase is stabilization. The second phase is grief work. And the third phase is post-traumatic growth. Now, grief work happens throughout the entire process, of course, but there's just more of an intentional focus on helping people approach and sit with grief and move through it during the second phase of the model. Uh, what we are trying to do in these Boeing-funded trainings and the NFL Foundation-funded trainings and other initiatives with uh, branches of the military service, uh, we want to help people become trained up and conversant in our model so that we're all operating according to the same roadmap for healing because the model really helps us identify where people get stuck and how we can move them through a through a process of healing after a devastating loss. What is hard to scale is the consultation piece of this, which I also find kind of the most um, interesting part of maybe doing this work is that it pulls for you to really be thoughtful and analytical about each particular uh, experience that you consult for. So um, some of the consultations, you know, I, I personally responded to the Yauntville tragedy when the veteran uh, took the lives of three uh, providers in the, the VA system and then ended his own life. I went out there and personally uh, fielded a part of that response and then did some follow-up consultation with San Francisco VA. Um, I've responded to um, other, um, you know, suicides on bases. I have to acknowledge my um, colleague, Dr. Uh, uh, Kim Ruwako, is the vice president of TAP Suicide Prevention and Postvention. For the better part of 10 or 12 years, she's been a trusted advisor who also responds uh, very thoughtfully when there's been a suicide loss on bases all around the world. And so um, every single response is different. And it's a matter of really assessing what is that suicide-specific issue that people are getting caught on that it will increase their risk, whether it's the self-directed blame or survivor guilt or feeling like, you know, they were responsible in some way, even if they know in their head that they were not. So that is the part that's kind of hard to scale. Um, but if we can train up people in the model, then our vision is to be able to provide that consultation to people who have the framework and the roadmap so that we can help move things through and sort of scale it that way. Does that make sense? It does. I mean, and, and so it's the, and, and as you said, every um, suicide response is different. Um, you know, now the, um, uh, the research is emerging that there are probably a, a tw upwards of 20 different factors in different levels when it comes to service member, veteran, military, family suicide. Um, but providing a framework that's not a restrictive, right? You've got pieces that you can apply and not apply. It's not so um, regimented as when a suicide happens, we bring in the trainers and then we do this and we do that. But it also provides a set of guidelines to um, to organizations that once they're trained or once they have this framework as part of their response, 
then they can apply it uniquely to the needs of their community or the situation. Yeah, exactly. We're hoping to train people generally in the model and then really train some specific teams that will become kind of experts that can be deployed to respond to these and to use us, you know, as needed for consultation. But you're absolutely right that it requires a flexible approach and it's inherently psychological in nature, this work, because you really have to think very critically and strategically. And, you know, to go back to our previous conversation in episode 116, it really does come down to building the trust with people to get the story behind the story. So if you have somebody who is, you know, feeling a lot of shame in response to the the suicide loss of a loved one, the first story that you often get is, um, you know, let's take example, the example of a spouse whose partner died by suicide. And she says, um, you know, he lost his battle to post-traumatic stress. And kind of that's the first story that you hear. When you build the trust with people um, and peers are very uh, uniquely able to do this, um, as well as uh, providers that have a lot of experience walking this journey with people and know the questions to ask and know the issues that come up, um, th- then you might get a different story. For example, maybe the real story behind the story is, and before he ended his life, we had a huge fight. And I told him that if he doesn't change his behavior or stop drinking, that I was going to leave him. And so then he ended his life and I feel responsible. And so being able to get to that issue that is causing, that is eating that person alive with guilt and feelings of responsibility, even though we know, we know that no one person or one fight causes a suicide. It is always caused by multiple factors. It's a perfect storm of stress that converges to cause that risk. They may be really stuck there and may need some help kind of processing that and integrating that understanding of the suicidal mode and the perfect storm uh, before they can be um, lower uh, risk than they are when they come in. So it is very uh, psychological work, um, which makes it challenging and critically important. Yeah, and in, in, um, in, in it being psychological work doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be somebody with letters behind their name, right? It, it can be, you know, uh, peer support or peers um, can be uh, trained to a level to understand this. Um, it, it's not just I, you know, I watch a 10-minute YouTube video and then all of a sudden I'm a peer support specialist. Um, but But people can learn this. Um, just like if somebody's interested in learning how to change the spark plugs on their car, you can learn it because people have learned. Um, and so it, when you say it's a psychological response, it doesn't necessarily mean it has to be somewhat the master's degree or a PhD. They just have to be supported by someone who does. Well, absolutely. And, you know, it, when I, exactly, when I say psychological, I mean that in the purest sense of the, the word, which is that psychology is understanding and predicting human behavior. And actually, we find that um, often peers who have been down the road before with the right support and um, experience and training and backup uh, are really uniquely effective at getting the story behind the story because they can drop right in. And the fact that they've been through a similar journey um, helps kind of cancel out the shame. And so often they can get the real story very quickly 
Um, and so probably, um, I would even say it's the power of the peer support that is, um, what really makes TAPS peer mentors so effective. And then as you say, um, there's different levels of peers, you know, peers in the field can mean a million different things to different people in TAPS. And we talk about, you know, peer mentors, we're talking about very specialized, uh, peers who have a lot of training and a lot of background and experience walking with people through this journey and have exposure to our post-vention model. And so, uh, it's not a 10 minute, you know, training and then I'm designating myself to be a peer. They are in their way peer experts that really are beacons of hope for people that show that healing and growth after a traumatic loss is entirely possible. Um, and so they are kind of the heart of taps. And I am somebody who, you know, is, is probably relatively unusual in the sense that I am not a suicide loss survivor, but um, I hope that over the past two and a half years that I've been at TAPS, that I've, I've earned trust um, with the, the TAPS family, that I can understand this um, just based on walking with many survivors and understanding um, the issues and, and the pain and where they get stuck and how we can move them toward healing. No, and I think that's a, a good um, juxtaposition between um, you know, clinical experience and then like lived experience, right? I mean, um, mm -hmm. uh, the oncologist does not have to have had cancer to be able to be an expert on cancer, right? I mean, that's, we, we don't expect that in the, in the medical field. Um, but at the same time, we also know that the best preacher is a former sinner kind of thing in that when you're talking about peers with taps, you're talking about spouses or children or siblings or parents who have endured a loss by suicide. But you could also be talking about, and this is a lot of what, what I know the Bryans have, have done their research on, is attempt survivors who have survived their attempt and gotten mm -hmm. to a place of that growth that you're talking about and then turned around and have become, like you said, almost champions against suicide for their peers so that nobody else gets back to the place they were. Right. I mean, it's, it's, we talked about this in the last um, episode on episode 116, but peers have almost a kind of instant credibility with the people they're trying to help. And some professionals can quickly build that credibility based on their experiences, but there is an extra process and an extra step sometimes to really earning that trust with people. Um, one of the things that makes TAPS unique in terms of our training and consultation, the outfacing initiatives that my team does is that we value lived experience and to such a degree that every training we do is a combination of professional expertise with lived experience. And so in our trainings, we are um, taking the stories and the experiences of the 12,000 survivors of suicide loss that we've served over the last 10 years, as well as uh, we do psychological autopsies, which are deep dives into some of the multiple risk factors and contributors to suicide for those who have completed suicide. And based on all of that understanding of lived experience, that is the kind of wisdom that we bring forward in combination with the, the professional expertise um, that some of us on staff uh, also lend to that uh, process of training people. See, and that's the um, that's the important thing. And we're talking about this community-based public health approach. 
all the different factors of suicide prevention um, and training and education is part of that training and education about suicide themselves, but training and education about um, about postvention specifically. So uh, you talk about TAPS coming out and providing training. Um, how can communities maybe engage in that? Or, or what would the communities expect when it comes to a TAPS-led postvention training event? Yeah. So as you know, Dwayne, I wrote a series of articles for TAPS on the four pillars of effective postvention support. And this is related to the second pillar, which is that the support must be comprehensive. So what we do at TAPS is we offer best practice peer support and consultation and training around postvention, but we cannot do this alone. It's got to be, as you said, the public health approach with an all hands on deck uh, kind of uh, orientation. So we, we develop working partnerships with organizations that complement our services because it's critical to fill out the full continuum of care. And, and it's not just the, you know, psychological um, providers like uh, behavioral health clinicians like yourself and myself. It's also spirituality for many people, not for everyone, but that is an area that I've really focused on. Um, as you know, the last, um, American Association of Suicidology Conference, I gave a couple of talks and I'm kind of actively involved in the uh, Faith Task Force of the National Action Alliance for Suicide Prevention. And that work is around equipping our society's faith leaders who are among society's emotional first responders um, to better support survivors of suicide loss, because there's a lot of unintentional damage that can occur when people are not well-informed. So we provide uh, training and good information, but we have to partner with people who offer the pieces that we can't or um, are not able to provide to them, whether it's spiritual support, clinical support, uh, resources that we may not offer, um, you know, for people that are suffering. You know, and I can see, and you talked earlier about training a community in general, I and mean, you didn't say that specific, but training a group in general and then giving very specialized training to a smaller group. And, and one way that I can see this being in, uh, in place is, um, you know, who is most likely to come in contact with, um, uh, with someone who dies by suicide, law enforcement, perhaps, uh, or, mm -hmm. or the fire department or first responders, right? So right. if there were a specialized group of individuals who mm -hmm. are in the community that the first responders know about, that that's another thing that the first responders can reach out to this postvention team and right. engage them in the individuals um, impacted by this loss by suicide. That would be an example of a comprehensive approach, mm -hmm. which would take awareness by the, the law enforcement and the first responders and also the presence of the, um, uh, in the military, we call them tiger teams, right? You know, we're going to, we're yes. going to send out this tiger team right. to, to, to deal with this particular issue. That's sort of or what you're talking teams. about. Sprint yeah, teams. Or sprint, yeah. sprint teams. Yeah. That is, um, a, an orienting vision for us. Um, within the TAP suicide prevention and postvention team is to, we'd like to get support to do that, to resource tiger teams and sprint teams so that there's a really well-trained group of individuals. And that's how we can kind of scale it. But then there also needs to be 
a general understanding of what postvention is and a roadmap that everybody's kind of playing by the same, you know, playbook so that we're not doing damage inadvertently um, when there's been a traumatic loss and we know who to reach out to and that we can have confidence in them, that they can come in, they can build that trust and they can get to the bottom of what's really going to increase the risk factor for those who are um, impacted by a loss like that. No, and that's uh, that's absolutely critical. Um, all the time, and, and as we were talking, we we ate up a lot of time before um, our our time here that we started recording. Uh, just by talking, it's I, I I really appreciate what you're doing and absolutely what Taps is doing. I think it is a um, a less known but critical part of of the overall aspect of suicide prevention. It's not just keeping a veteran, a, a service member or their families from taking their own life. It's um, what do we do when it happens to keep the cycle from happening again? So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Um, yeah. If people were to um, want to learn more and yeah. get in contact with you and TAPS, how would they do that? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I just add one more thing, you know, because as you mentioned, you know, it's not just about preventing further suicides. The work that we do is about helping people to heal and to thrive after loss, which is an important piece that I think gets lost. We think sometimes when you have a devastating loss, you're going to be just debilitated from here on out. That's not what we see. The third phase of our model is post-traumatic growth. And with the right support, people can really, um, they can really reset in, in a way that gives them deep meaning and purpose going forward. So there's definitely that potential for post-traumatic growth. Where to reach us? Uh, first, taps.org backslash suicide is our landing page for information about training, consultation, all of the services and programs that we do to support survivors of suicide loss. We have a national military suicide loss survivor seminar that uh, we bring together families who have been impacted, loved ones. That happens in October in Phoenix, Arizona. So that is open for registration. Um, if anybody wants to join us, we'd love to support in that way. And then also there is a 10 minute uh, postvention healing after loss course that uh, we narrated for uh, psych, uh, psych Armor Institute. And that is available. And I'd love it if um, I could provide you a link to that because that will um, be a resource for people to kind of get a quick introduction to postvention. And then the TAPS Institute for Hope and Healing has deeper, longer courses that are can be widely disseminated without limit, uh, thanks to the Boeing Foundation. So um, that would be another resource I would offer. That's great, and I, I definitely uh, appreciate that. I, I will embed the uh, the video into the show notes so listeners can go there and watch it, and also uh, to be able to put all of those links um, for. Uh, those different resources um, into the show notes so they can get those as well. Thank you again so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Wayne. Good to talk to you. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, where we're trying to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health. Shauna's experience and expertise is significant. 
One of the things that strikes me every time is that the largest number of participants in the Tragedy Assistant Program for Survivors is by those who have experienced a loss by suicide. We know the statistics about suicide, and we know they're alarming. The fact that this organization serves so many impacted by it is a meaningful demonstration of how truly challenging the problem is. Whether it's social media posts, community conversations, or awareness demonstrations, it seems that we are inundated with the information on how to stop suicide in the military-affiliated population. And yet, numbers of service members, veterans, and their family members are taking their own lives every day. Whether it's 20 a day, 22 a day, or more, whether they're connected to the Department of Veterans Affairs or not, whether they're high-profile or go unnoticed, one death by suicide in the military population is one too many. Simply raising awareness of a problem without pairing it to meaningful action promotes a sense of helplessness and hopelessness. This conversation with Shauna and the works that TAPS is doing is critical to resolve some of that feeling. Thanks for taking the time to listen. To find out more information, you can go to the show notes, which you can find at federalmentalhealth.com forward slash HST144. While you're there, hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice and leave an honest rating and review. It helps others find the show. As I mentioned at the beginning, you can always sign up for our newsletter by going to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash update and join us in our growing Facebook group to discuss the show at VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash community. I'd also like to let you know of a series of webinars that I'm providing for NADAC, the National Association for Addiction Professionals. I'm presenting a series of six webinars on service member, veteran, and military family mental health There'll be live webinars presented over the remainder of 2019, and after they're complete, they'll be available to watch on demand. To see more about the series, go to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash NADAC. That's VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash N-A-A-D-A-C to check out the webinars. Just a reminder that the guests and information on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be considered professional advice. While I'm a practicing therapist, I'm not your therapist. Something you've heard makes you think that you should talk to somebody and reach out to do so. I'd like to thank Doc Todd for giving us permission to use his track, Not Alone, from his album Combat Medicine. Doc's trying to bring the discussion about veteran mental health out of the darkness. You can see all of his work at therealdoctod.com. Make sure to join us for the next episode. Hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice. Until next time, remember veterans, you're not alone. Ever. The struggle is real, found a feast and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home See suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is the tone Nothing but bone weeds, overgrown, pushing up stones I've triumphed over enemies, co-creating enemies Broke out facilities that try to put an end to me R.I.P., I'd rather grind in tranquility Authentic tendency, embrace my ability
love you guys. Take those bottles out, dog, and pour them in the sink. Take the needles out your arm and the gun away from your forehead. It's time, man. You've been through enough pain. Stand up. It's time to stand back up. All my veterans, man. Army, Marine Corps, Navy, Air Force, Coast Guard. Get up. You know. Are you looking for more ways to learn about military and veteran culture? Are you a mental health professional or public health professional without lived experience in the military but find yourself working with veterans? Are you a caregiver or a family member of a veteran? Then you might be interested in a series of books that have been released with you in mind. By going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash books, you can check out three books that give you an insight into veteran mental health from a combat veteran perspective. These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes.